All right, we're going to jump right in. Actually, we're not. We're going to we're, I'm going to give a, a, uh, a word of caution. Uh, how about that? We'll, we'll say it like that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, the fact that we live in a time, in a culture, uh, that is increasingly more divisive. And it's not lost on me that we will be going into, uh, I mean, it's already really started, uh, but we're going into this uh, election cycle uh, in 2020, and uh, and and so my um, I'm not a I'm not prophetic or anything, um, but you don't have to be to know that it's only going to get worse. And uh, and so I just I, I wanted us I want us as a church if we if we can to just begin to guard ourselves in the midst of all of the. The noise and and I, I just don't know any better way to explain it other than it the world's just crazy. Uh, that that in the midst of the noise and the craziness, uh, that our response would not be guided by emotion towards social media or towards news cycles or things like that, but that actually our responses would be grounded in in this. And if you're unfamiliar with with what this is. Um, this is the digital version of, of this. This is your Bible, and many of you use your digital devices for your Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do as well. And, but that, that our response to the divisiveness, the response to our culture would really be founded based upon God's Word. And that we would, if we are to respond, that we would respond in an informed way. And, and here's, here's where it gets tricky for a lot of us is um, inf- Facebook and information are not synonymous. Like it doesn't work. And most of the time it does not work. And, and so we need to be informed. We need to, um, we need to respond out of God's word, out of God's heart for people. Uh, that's it. That's all I wanted to say in regard to that. But I, I just know that as we go into more and more of this cultural divide, uh, it's going to be more and more necessary for us to be the church in this city. It's the middle of summer. Uh, we're almost smack dab right in the middle of it. Where did we come up with that saying? Smack dab. Smack dab right in the middle of it. My dad taught me that, I'm pretty sure, which probably came from Missouri um, because they have all kinds of inappropriate and racist statements there that we just perpetuate, not thinking about them. We're in the middle of the summer, and and if you're like me, uh, you get out of routine, you find yourself... um, the kids aren't in school, maybe you're traveling on vacation and different things, and so you, you find yourself kind of out of your normal routine, and, and if you're like me, you find yourself out of the, uh, the normalcy of, of being in the presence of God, and, and it's kind of like you're stuck. Uh, the best example that I can give is an example that I heard from Chris Hodges, who he talks about being in the doldrums, that it's like you're a sailboat and, uh, and there's no wind for your sail, and so you're just stuck. You're just not moving anywhere. And 
Uh, and so sometimes what can happen is it can feel like that. It feels like you are, uh, you're, you're kind of plugging along and then now five weeks into the summer and everything's kind of chaotic and stuff and you just are feeling like, ah, not going anywhere, I'm just kind of stuck. And, and if it's not for you, it's okay, this message can be for me today. Um, but at least humor me and be a part of the message with me. I, I want us to... Um, to take a look and, and talk about how do we get out of that? How do we get unstuck? How do we get out of the doldrums of, of the summer slump or the, uh, the spiritual slump that we find ourselves in? We've studied the Lord's Prayer for the past few weeks. We're in this series called The Summer of Prayer. And, and in, the, in the midst of this uh, study of the Lord's Prayer, what we find is this ingredient that God gives us to make our life resilient to the doldrums, resilient to being stuck. So many of us can look at this life that we live in. We can go into, uh, into these seasons where we find ourselves actually plugging along pretty well, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of comes to this grinding halt, and and the, the Lord's Prayer gives us this ingredient that says, this is how you stay resilient from that coming to a halt. Minds me of, uh, of a pickup truck that I used to have. Uh, when I was living in Spokane, Washington, uh, I had this forest green, uh, tiny Toyota pickup truck. Had silver stripes along it where the stripes weren't tore uh, or won't, won't wore off of the truck. I love this truck. The, the gauges didn't work on it. No AC. That's why we didn't bring the truck to San Antonio, because we didn't want to die. And, <laughs> but I love this truck. I, I have so many memories in this truck. We, I used to take, uh, don't, don't judge me here, but I used to take my four-year-old son and my two-year-old daughter, and they would sit next to me on, on the bench of the truck. There was no cab in this, so there it certainly was no car seat in this thing, but I, I wrapped some rope around them, and we, <laughs> we tied them down into the truck, and, and they loved going with me because they knew that when I was going to get mulch for the yard, that, that it was springtime, the sun was out for the first time in God knows how many months, and, and we were going to, to, to the place to get mulch, and they loved going with me because they knew that I was going to get them a treat at the gas station. And they knew that we would stop at the gas station because, as I already have told you, the gauges did not work. And so every chance I got, I got gas because I knew one day I was going to run out of gas, which I did 50 yards from the gas station. I, I had this kind of this clock in, my, in the back of my head, and I knew it was close, but I didn't realize it was that close. And Ended up having to walk 50 yards, get some gas, put it in there. It was, you know, first world problem. But my wife and I bought a house in uh, Spokane, and uh, in the bottom of the, in the first floor of the house in the basement is what it was. It was a daylight basement. Uh, we did some remodeling of it because there was a hot tub in the basement of the house. I, and just in case you don't understand science, like you should not put a hot tub in your house with no ventilation or anything along those lines. So 
we have this hot tub sitting in the basement, which first of all was super creepy, <laughs> and uh, second of all was disgusting. Uh, so we had to get it out. She didn't want to live with that hot tub in her basement. I was like, we could clean it, no, but she didn't want it. So we get the hot tub out of the house, and, and it's just kind of the, it's not like the hot tubs that you think it's all fully enclosed. It's like, it's got the, you can see the mechanisms around and stuff. We pull it out, and, and it, we put it in the back of my amazing green truck, because it didn't matter if stuff got scratched or anything. It was a, it was a beat up truck. So we put it in the back of the pickup truck, and, uh, and I was going to go take it to the dump, but I forgot. And then a year later, after driving this hot tub around the city of Spokane, no word, I'm not lying, I'm not even exaggerating, I know pastors exaggerate, but I, this is, my wife will testify to this fact. I had in my head that I was going to fill it with water and I was going to put some of the youth kids in it, and we were just going to drive around Spokane. And then my pastor said, you can't do that, you know, whatever, so... So I finally decide I'm going to take it to the dump. I go uh, out to the, to the truck, and I, I put the key in the ignition. I go to start it, and guess what? I won't start. I wouldn't go. I was stuck. I was so frustrated because I had my whole day planned. I was going to take and I was thinking, what is wrong with my truck? I mean, this isn't the first time it didn't start, you know, but as I said, the gauges didn't work, so I didn't really know what was wrong with it. And so I thought, maybe I ran out of gas. And so I went and got some gas in a gas can, put it in the truck, went to turn it on. Guess what happened? It started. That's what happens when you put gas in a truck. It started. <laughs> you guys are all pessimists. You're like, I don't think it started. <laughs> no, it actually started up. And, and, and here's, here's why I, I tell you that story is because the reason I was stuck and couldn't take the hot tub to the dump wasn't because the hot tub was in the back of the truck. It wasn't like the, it wasn't, the, the truck didn't start because there was a hot tub and a bunch of trash and yard waste and all kinds of stuff in there. It, it, that's not the reason it didn't start. It didn't start because it needed something. It needed fuel. The reason my truck was stuck was not because it was too burdened or the circumstances were too severe or the, the fragility of the frame of my truck couldn't handle the weight or the burden of which it carried. It wasn't that all of those things in the back of my truck needed to be removed. I mean, if I would have taken everything out and then my truck wouldn't have gone. It wouldn't have helped. It, it was the fuel that needed to be put in. And I wonder how many times as Christians we look at the weight and the burden and the garbage that seems to be dragging behind us and we think to ourselves, God, if you could just take all of that stuff out, if you could just remove all of the weight or the burden, that if you could do that, then I could be joyful. If you would just remove all of, of the stuff out of the back of my life, then I could be peaceful. I could be the person that you've called me to be. I could live with the purpose that you've called me to, to live. And I would just say to all of us this morning, myself included, that I think God is 
really speaking to us today. And it's, he would say it's not that he needs to remove something from your life, but that you're going to have to put something into your life that's going to bring resiliency and the power so that your life can move forward in Jesus' name. I want us to see today what we need to put into our lives. And it comes from Psalm chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. This is the fuel that we need to be resilient. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, almost High. David, the psalmist, is writing this, and he starts out by saying, my heart is filled with gratitude. In the Lord's Prayer, we, we see Jesus saying at the very beginning, he says, our Father who art in heaven, and then he says this line, hallowed be your name. That, the language there is praise be your name. He's, he's, off, he's saying, listen, when you pray, start your prayer with praise. Start it off that way. Praise his name. Praise is the ingredient. It is the, the fuel that will make our lives resilient no matter how heavy of a load we may have in the back of our life. No matter how big the obstacles that we seem to be facing in our life may be, praise is the fuel that keeps us moving forward. So what is praise? Well, I want to give you three things. The, the first is the heart of praise. David says, I'll give thanks to the Lord with a portion of my heart. He didn't say that. It's, on the, it's not on the screen, but he didn't say it. He didn't, he didn't say, I will give you praise with, uh, I will give thanks to the Lord with half of my heart. He says, no, I will give thanks to the Lord with my, my whole heart. Why does, he, why does he put those words in there? Because the reason why is because there will always be a battle to orient your heart or a portion of your heart away from God towards something outside of God. And so the question for us this morning is how much of our heart is determined to find our satisfaction in God and not other things. The way that we can discover if our whole heart is oriented in that direction is to ask these two questions. What things in my life am I looking for in God? And the second question is, what things in life am I looking towards outside of God? Sometimes we will say that God, you're, you're the king of my whole life. But then we start looking for things of satisfaction outside of God. And we all know, right, that you, you can't get no satisfaction outside of God. So how do we know what's in God and what's outside of God? It's really pretty simple. It's in this thing that is a paper form of this called your Bible. It's, it's where the, it is the place of the where and the what desires that I'm seeking. 
It's the place that we discover what God wants for our life, not necessarily the circumstances around us. See, a life that's built on praise says, I want to find everything that my heart desires in you, God. Because I trust that you are the creator. Because I trust that you are the sustainer of life. So it would make no sense to look for praiseworthy things outside of who you are. You say, well, I'm not really following you in this vein, so give me an example. Okay, I'll give you an example that's a stereotypical American preacher example. And I give it to you not because uh, I, I want to, but because it's necessary. Not, not necessary necessarily in our church, uh, but just in the world in which we live. So, so let's use our money as an example. Uh, and again, this is me preaching to me. Um, in the context of our money, a life that's built on praise says, all of what I have really belongs to him. And I've just been entrusted to steward the resources that God has given me. I want to steward them well. If you think, if you begin to think that there is actually something in this world that is more valuable than money, more valuable than money, then the relationship that you have with God is actually more of a securing reality than just whether or not I have money in the bank. So then you could say, I'm going to steward my resources in a way that I would say, I'm not looking for my money to sustain me. I'm not looking for my money to give me a good life. I'm trusting God for that. So my whole heart can thank you. My whole heart can praise you and not, God, thanks for all of these things, but I'm just going to take care of this one thing over here on my own. And it could be anything. I'm using money as an example because we live in a, an affluent country. We live in a fluent state. We live in a fluent city for the most part. And, and I'm just saying that oftentimes we will trust God with all aspects of our life. We will praise him with 90% of our heart and say, ah, but this over here I need to make sure I take care of. I'll be my money manager. But it could be anything on the list. And again, I'm I'm preaching to myself here, and I'll just come down here, and I'll just say, you know what? Good job, Pastor Ryan. That was, that, that was a good point, just like you guys do every Sunday, right? You're like, I hear you. You're like, amen. Oh, no, you're not that way, but you should because my wife's in service, and she should feel good about my message today. So thank you. Thank you. No, I'm, I, this isn't, this isn't a, a, oh, we need to be better stewards of our money. This is like, what is that area? What is that, that sliver of your heart that you've chosen not to praise God with because you cannot trust him with it? Let me put it this way. If I knew that Shipley's had the best donut around, and so much so that uh, we were like, you know what? I would stand here on a Sunday morning and say, if you guys have never had a Shipley's Donut, you need to have a Shipley's Donut. They are amazing. Maybe the best in San Antonio 
or the best in the world, right? And you'd be like, I gotta have, I gotta have a Shipley's donut. And, and I go down to Shipley's, just right down the hill, and these guys are, you know, waking up at four in the morning to, to make donuts, and I'm, I'm in there. You guys, man, keep it up. Keep dipping that dough in the oil. Those are the best donuts in the city, near in the world. But then I leave there and go to Krispy Kreme and buy my donuts. What does that say about how I think about them? See, what happens is oftentimes we'll say, God, you are the creator of the universe. You are the best. You know everything. But I'm going to go get my donuts over here. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. The good news is we don't have to wait until we're at the bottom. There's the promise and the hope of of praise in our life, and that is the heart of praise. But what about the praise in practice? How, how How do we put this practically into our life? Well, we really have to learn to offer praise and thanksgiving for who he is first and what he does second. Why is this important? Because if we only praise God for what he does, if we praise God first for what he does, we have diluted God into a giant bending machine in the sky. And I will plug my praise tokens into the vending machine so I can get my Skittles out. But if at any point in my life, if the Skittles don't drop or they get hung up on the little coily thing, what do I do? Do I start shaking God, trying to get him to drop my Skittles? Do I, do I continue to pray harder or praise harder? Or What happens when the thing that we want in our life doesn't happen? All of a sudden, we withhold our praise tokens from him. See, it's the, it's the nature and the character of God that is unchanging. He's always been and always will be who he says he's going to be. And so when we build our life of praise, we have to start praising him for who he is and not what he does. Well, not that you can't praise him for what he does, but, but that should be second So who is God? Well, we sang about it this morning. Uh, We sang the song, He's a Good Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, "See See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I'm a child of God, and he's a good, good father. He's a powerful king. Psalm 24.10 says, Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. And he's a loving savior. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So there's there's really two ways that we can approach prayer. And two ways in which we can approach our praise in prayer. We can say, God, thank you for 
for my car, my new car. God, thank you for this new relationship that I'm in. God, thank you for the provision of this job and this house or whatever. And none of that is a bad thing. It's like, that's not a bad thing to do. But what happens when any of those things change? What happens when that relationship doesn't work out like you thought it was going to work out? What happens when you lose your job or your car breaks down? All of a sudden, if your praise is conditional upon what he has done for you versus who he is, and your life starts to sound like a country song, all of a sudden you withhold your tokens of praise. But when your praise is based on the nature and the character of the unchanging God of this universe, then you could say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't understand why I haven't been healed. God, I don't understand why I've received this diagnosis. I don't understand why my spouse doesn't want a relationship with you. That we can honestly just declare with our lips that even though I don't understand these circumstances, God, I know that you're a good, good father. I know that you've adopted me into your family, into the family of God, and I do believe that if I knew what you knew, if, if, if I could understand your ways and your will, then, then maybe I would have a glimpse into something, but I don't, but I trust you. I believe that you are a powerful king. I know that you are in control of all things. God, you are a, a loving Savior that sent your Son to die on the cross for me. That's the praise that happens in bad days. That's the praise that happens when we read about Paul being in the jail cell. That's the praise that happens in prison. This is the praise that, that happens when things aren't working out the way that we think that they should. But we praise him for who he is, and that praise begins to fuel our life for any and every situation. And to be honest, sometimes that praise is a broken hallelujah. Because it doesn't take away the fact that there's still hurt and there's still pain. But it fuels us beyond that. Finally, I want us to take a look at the benefits of praise. Every time we pray to God in this way, what's going to happen is it's going to stretch our faith and it's going to cause us to assess whether or not we actually believe what we say we believe. It's why it's so important for us to know what's in this. If we don't understand the gospel, if we don't understand why we have this, then what evidence do we have that God is faithful the story of the gospel is not just that God sent some prophets to give us some prophetic words in Scripture or that God gave us some letters for us to read. No, the story of the gospel is that there were these witnesses who got to experience Jesus Christ, God in the form of man, come to this earth, and because of his faithfulness to the Father was wrongly arrested, was tried, was crucified in a brutal death, 
died or was buried and in three days rose again. And there were these witnesses that experienced this, saw this take place to the point at which they went to their violent deaths holding on to that testimony. The good news isn't that ju- just that God is loving, but that he is powerful, that he's faithful. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for you. Although he sat in a tomb for three days, after those three days, his body began to breathe. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves in circumstances where we feel loaded down or we feel buried, honestly. We feel dead because of the circumstance that we find ourselves in. That our trucks loaded up with so much stuff that we don't think we'll ever move forward. Maybe you are here this morning and you feel like your life feels buried, you feel stuck. The Father would say to you, I gave my son Jesus Christ for you. He's your example. He is your Savior. And he would remind you today that he is not done with you. That no matter how much junk you might have, almost said in the back of your trunk, nope. No matter how much garbage you have in your life, he's not done with you. See, when you enter into his presence with praise, no matter what it is that you're going through, he will enter your circumstance with power. And I wonder if there are some who who have never surrendered their life to him because they don't know they can trust him. And if that's you this morning, I would just, could I encourage you to Take that step. To take a step that says, God, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm out of gas. I've tried this on my own. I've tried emptying things out and this and that, and I just recognize that I need you in my life. And if that's you, I hope that you make that decision today. My guess is that for many of us, like myself, it's probably more along the lines of, of recognizing that there are areas of our heart that we haven't surrendered to him. That when we talk about praising him with our whole heart, that there's really just these, maybe a sliver where it's like, yeah, but I got, I, I got to take care of this on my own. And I wonder if maybe today you would be open to hearing God say, I want that part of your heart. And that as we close our time out, that we would be a people who just say, God, we want to praise you with our whole hearts. We know that praise is the fuel that keeps us moving, even in seasons where things are very difficult. Let's pray.